Well, how about Morgan Crouch on the keys tonight? I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I am super impressed. So this is the kind of pastor's wife that we have. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed on social media, but we've been posting that we needed a keys player. We only have Kayla, who is so awesome and volunteers so consistently, but she could probably use a break every now and then. So we've needed a keys player. So what Morgan does is she just teaches herself how to play the piano, literally, just to fill a need that we had in our church body. Sorry, Morgan, I know you probably hate this, but that is the kind of pastor's wife that we have here. It's pretty amazing. And I know, I know I'm not Dallas. And you may have come here tonight hoping to hear from Dallas, and I get it, I really do. Uh, I was talking to my mom earlier this week, she may kill me for this one too. And my mom didn't know I was speaking tonight. And she was actually talking about uh, what a great job Justin did and how she really enjoyed his Sunday and what a great job he did and how she loves hearing from the different speakers and Walter and how everybody does such a great job. But she also just casually mentioned that she couldn't wait to hear from Dallas tonight, this Wednesday. And I was like, well, this is awkward. Uh, so I very gently let her down. So if you're here tonight and you feel disappointed, then my mom can feel your pain. You all can get, grab arms together and, and make it through tonight. No, I'm just kidding. She's actually my biggest supporter. But mom, if you come back on Sunday, Dallas, you can hear Dallas on Sunday. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Tara. Uh, I have the privilege of helping lead our women's ministry here, and I get to teach from time to time. It's always a privilege to get to do this. And I'm excited about tonight for so many reasons. I'm excited about the message that I feel like the Lord has helped me put together for tonight. I'm excited because this is my first time ever closing a sermon series. I've got to open one before, but I've never got to close one. So tonight, we're going to do just that. We're going to finish up the book of Job that we've been walking through together over the past few weeks. The book of Job is a toughie, isn't it? It's a tough book, but over the last few weeks, I've grown to love it more. And then as I prepared for tonight's message, I feel like the Lord just kept knocking my socks off by just reminding me of fresh truths that I needed to know that have impacted my life so greatly uh, in the past few days even especially. So I hope you leave here tonight feeling the same way. Like you have been reminded and refreshed with some truths that you need to hold on to that are going to impact your life. But with all that being said, let's go ahead. Let's recap and then let's wrap this book up together. To recap, our first week, Steve, he taught on the direct attack that Job faced in his life uh, through Satan going and encountering God and, and God gave permission to attack Job. And as we all well know, this happened and Job ended up losing everything. He lost his riches. All of his children died. He lost his physical health. He was in, in pretty much torment. He lost it all. And then the second week, I taught about the indirect attacks that Job experienced in his life through his friends. They gave him some really unkind and unwise counsel, and we learned what not to do when giving wise counsel. <clears throat> and then a couple weeks ago, because we didn't have service last Wednesday night, Dallas taught. And he taught about Job's response to his suffering and Job's response to his friend's counsel. And we learned some things that Job did right, like leaning into God during suffering instead of away from him. And we learned some things that he didn't do as well. But tonight, tonight is the moment we've been waiting for. Tonight, 
God is finally going to speak. Job has waited for this. He has cried out to God to respond to him. And now God is about to do just that. He is about to step on the scene and respond in a mighty way. So for 37 chapters, y'all, there has been all this suffering. For 30 plus chapters, there's been this back and forth rebuttaling between Job and his friends. And then finally, finally we get to chapter 38, verse 1, and it says this. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, All right. Out of the whirlwind. I want you to imagine what that must have been like. God speaks out of a whirlwind. That's pretty powerful. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said. I want to stop right there. I feel like this is like on The Bachelor when he has that final rose and you're getting ready to hear. And then I'm like, no, we're going to take a break. We're going to stop right there for a second. I want you to imagine that you've never read the book of Job before. You've never been taught the book of Job. You've never read it. This is your first time you've made it through 37 chapters of all this suffering, all this back and forth rebuttaling, and you get to this sentence right there, and you're about to hear what the Lord is going to say. What would you have expected God to say? What do you think you would have wanted God to say when you got to this point? Think about it for a second, really. If you didn't know, what do you think would have been coming next. Well, I can tell you what I would have expected God to say if I had never read it before, if this was my first time. I can tell you what I thought I would have wanted God to say. It would have been probably something like this. Well done. Job, well done. You did it. Job, you've made it through all the suffering without cursing me, just like I knew you would. Job, you've maintained your integrity through all this for the the most part. And man, Job, I have so much compassion on you for all the suffering that you've been faced, all the heartache that you've endured. My heart, I just have so much compassion for you, Job. And now most importantly, Job, let me give you some explanations. Job, let me give you the answers you've been looking for. You see, what happened was, what you didn't realize was happening is that Satan came to me, Job, and he said that you only loved me because you were blessed. And he thought that if he took everything away from you, that you would curse me and that you would turn your back on me. So, Job, I allowed this test in your life so that Satan would be humiliated And so that your genuine love for me would prove faithful. And Job, I allowed this test in your life so that for generations and generations to come, people who go through suffering, they will have your story to look back on and to look to for solace and comfort and guidance. Does that make sense, Job? Does that make, does that make sense? Is, is, is that explanation, was that what you were looking for? Do, Do you feel better about things now, Job? Good job. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I would have expected God to say. If I would read this book for the first time, that is what I think I would have wanted God to say because that's what I want God to say in my own life when I face suffering. And I'm betting that is what some of you may want God to say in your own life when you face suffering. What we expect, what we want 
usually the most during times of suffering is explanations and answers. We want to know why, right? Why, God? Why is this happening? Why am I walking through this? But sometimes, sometimes God's most loving way of responding to us is yes to respond, but without answers. We're going to unpack this more together tonight, but I want us to read a little bit of God's actual response to Job. We're going to read 38, 1 through 18. It's worth it to read that much. It says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. Job, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Man, that must have been something. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed, and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no further. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Job, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, Job, if you know all this... That is not what I would have expected God to say. And God actually goes on like this for two whole chapters, and then he finally ends this first discourse, and it won't be on the screen, but in the first couple verses of chapter 40, he finally ends his statements by saying this, Hey Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer me. So now it's Job's chance, right? It's, it's his turn. He has waited for this. He's said over and over again, I want to talk to the Almighty. I want to argue my case before God. And now here's his chance. It's, her, it's his turn to do exactly what he's been waiting for. Let's see what he says. Chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. That word behold there, in its original context, in its original language, it communicates an idea of shock or unexpectedness. This was not how Job expected God to respond either. But now that he has, when God has began to speak to him in power 
and in majesty through this almighty whirlwind when God starts to remind Job of who he actually is. That same Job who zealously longed for his day in court to contend with the Almighty is now like, I am small. And, and I put my hand over my mouth. He has no answer for the Lord anymore and he isn't even about to challenge him, right? What I want us to realize tonight is that not one thing has changed in Job's circumstances, Not one thing has changed since Job boldly declared, I want to speak to the Almighty and argue my case before God, right? Not one thing has changed. Job is still in physical torment from his sickness. Job has still lost all of his children, all of his wealth, all of his riches. He is still in the exact same situation. Not one thing has changed. The only thing The only thing that took Job from I want to argue my case before God to I put my hand over my mouth is that Job saw God. He saw him. He saw him more clearly than he ever had before. He saw him in his power and in his majesty. And God had reminded Job that, hey, I'm the one who laid the foundations of the earth. I'm the one who commands the morning and tells the seas where to stop. And I don't think God said this to Job out of anger, but out of mercy. I think he knew that what Job needed more than anything else was to realize who he was in a clear way. And it was at this new revelation of who God was, that is what changed everything for Job. My one point tonight is that it is simple But I'm telling you, y'all, it is life-changing. The revelation of God, knowing God more deeply, seeing who God really is, and knowing him in an intimate way will change everything in your life. If you are going through a time of just discouragement, knowing who God is, knowing him deeply will change everything for you. If you are just going through a time of disappointment, if you are going through a time of conflict, if you are going through a time of grief and suffering, knowing God more deeply, understanding who he is, I'm telling you, it will change everything for you. Knowledge of God, knowing him, it changes everything. And God knew that. God knew that. He knew that was what Job actually needed. What Job thought he needed was an explanation for his suffering. What we often think we need when we go through times of suffering is an explanation. We want answers. But that's not what we actually need. That's not what's going to help us heal the most. That's not what's going to help us mature in our faith the most. Allie June, my daughter, Allie June, when she was about three years old, that girl, let me tell you, she was the queen of why, okay? She would ask why to just about anything. If I said, if we were on the way home and I said, Allie June, before we go home, we have to stop and get groceries. She would ask why. And I would say, well, because we we need groceries. We don't have any groceries at the house. Well, because it's just, it's been a really busy week and I haven't gotten to go to the grocery store yet. Because, because my schedule, I had put a lot of my schedule for the past few days, and, and I just didn't have any time to go to the grocery store. You see, see how annoying it is to have to keep doing that? Yeah, 
That is what my life was like for the whole third year of her life. It was a constant and continual why, why. And eventually when I would start to lose my mind, my answer would become, Allie June, we're going to the grocery store because that's what we need to do and mommy says so. But she, she just she wanted to know why for everything. And that's normal because she was a little girl. And little girls and little boys, they want to know why. But when we grow up, we don't have to ask why for every little thing anymore, do we? And sometimes we can just naturally infer to the reason why without having to ask when we grow up, right? Well, it is the same way with our relationship with the Lord. When we are little in faith, when we are young in faith, the why, it is so important to us. We need it. A lot of times. And sometimes when we are little in faith, when we are young in faith, the Lord, he is faithful to give us the answers to our whys. Sometimes to build our trust in him, to build our our faith in him. I think of the man who was born blind. Do you all know that story? Uh, Jesus comes along and the man is born blind and someone asks, hey, was this man, is he blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus is like, neither. He was born blind uh, for the glory of the Lord, to reveal the glory of the Lord. That man got his why, and the glory of the Lord usually has something to do with the why, just so you know, but he, he got his why. But this man, he was young in faith at best. His faith at best was new and budding. He called Jesus a prophet later on. He didn't exactly understand who Jesus was. So like I appeased three-year-old Allie June's questions, he appeases our questions sometimes when we are young in faith to strengthen our faith. But sometimes he does not. And certainly as we mature in our faith, often he does not. Job was not young in his faith. Job was not new in his faith. In fact, the Bible says that there was no one like Job in all the earth. That's how God describes him. There was no one like Job in all the earth. He was blameless and upright. And trust me, you don't get that way unless you have followed God very closely. So his faith was not new. So I think at this stage in Job's life, I believe the Lord knew the most loving thing that he could do for Job was to move Job past the why. Past the why. It was time for Job to level up in his faith because God knew that what he needed so much more than explanations for all that had happened to him, what would benefit him so much more in the long run was to actually see God, was to actually know him more deeply. Look, if you're here tonight and you're going through a time of suffering and you so badly want to know why you are experiencing this suffering or maybe why a loved one that you know is experiencing this kind of suffering, my challenge to you is to start looking at the who instead of the why. Because once God, once Job saw God for who he was, once Job was reminded of the power and majesty of God and the fact that a God that big and that powerful was present with him in the midst of his suffering, a God that powerful was actually sitting there responding to him, Once he realized that, once he got his glimpse of God, then the why suddenly didn't become as important anymore. It was time for Job to level up. 
It was time at this stage in his life, at this maturity in his faith, it was time to level up and move past the why. Well, after Job admits that he is speechless before God, after he says, look, God, I put my hand over my mouth, God continues on. And I wish I could go through a lot of the verses that are in here because they're so good. But for Tom's sake, there was just one I felt like we had to hit on tonight. Job 40, verse 8. As God continues on, he asks Job this. He says, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? And I felt like I needed to talk about this because I think sometimes we have a tendency to do this. We don't mean to maybe, but maybe we're walking through a situation of suffering and we do feel like we're blameless in this situation. Or maybe it's someone we love and they're going through some kind of sickness or suffering and and we know that they are innocent in that situation and so we're like, they don't deserve this. They don't deserve this. And we talk about it in such a way that we are so concerned with proving our own innocence that we almost cast the blame to God unintentionally. Like somehow in order for us to be innocent in this situation, God must be guilty because the two things can't exist. Does that make sense? How sometimes we talk about it in that sort of way. And I think that's what Job has done here. So God asked him, hey, like, like in order to make yourself look good, are you going to try to make me look bad? And I think we have to be very careful in times of suffering, especially with loved ones. We a lot of times just want to be like, they're, they're such a great person. Like, they don't deserve all this. I don't, can't believe this is happening to them. And that may be a great person, but we can't talk about it in such a way that we make God look unjust and unfair in order to make that person look good. Um, and I, I felt like that was important to point out. And then God continues on, and he talks about two beasts, behemoth. And Leviathan. Have you all read this before? Are you familiar with these two beasts? He talks about them. Now, scholars have differing opinions as to what these two beasts were. Some scholars believe that Behemoth was a hippopotamus and Leviathan was a crocodile. Whereas other scholars think that these are references to prehistoric animals that no longer exist anymore. Either way, it's not really the point. The point is basically, God starts talking about these magnificent creatures that He has created. And, and that he controls and that he commands. And then he asked Job, hey, Job, can you do the same thing? Can you do the same thing, Job? And basically his point was, Job, if you cannot control or contend with the mere things that I have created, Job, what makes you think that you can contend with me? Once again, God's, God's point here, his goal was not to humiliate Job. That's not what God was trying to do. His, his goal was not to belittle Job. I think God just wanted Job to see that he couldn't, Job couldn't even begin to understand, to fathom all the ways that God had been at work in his life, even if God would have explained it to him. He couldn't have even begun to understand it, even if God would have explained it. Do you really think Job could have fathomed the fact that in 2024 at Grace Meadows Church, Charlie Dwyer was going to hear a message about, her, about his life and it was going to impact her life. You think he could have understood that? Plus about four million other stories of the same thing, of Job's story impacting these people's lives. Do you think Job could have really grasped that? Do you think Job could have really grasped the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm that was around him and the fact that Satan came to God and asked to attack him and God allowed it and the spiritual forces were in his life affecting him, taking everything? Do you think that would have been good for Job? 
Do you think Job, I mean, for all I know, that may have scared Job to death. Even if God would have explained everything in our finite minds, we cannot grasp all the ways he is at work because his ways are so much greater and so much higher. So we would end up just being like Allie June and having another why and another why and another why because we could not fathom it all. We are on two different playing fields all together. So, God in his mercy, instead of trying to get us to understand all the explanations and all the answers, instead, he gives us a glimpse of himself. Instead, he just chooses to give us a glimpse of who he is. And don't get me wrong, we cannot... We can't fathom who he is and his totality either, but that's okay. Because even just a glimpse, even just one look deeper into who he is, is enough to satisfy our souls in the midst of the greatest suffering. My friend uh, Heather Connell, some of you know her, I asked her permission to to talk about her story tonight. Heather... uh, She's in her early 30s, and she's beautiful, and she has this beautiful family. And about three years ago, uh, Heather served on our Women of Grace team, and I was very, very close with her. And Heather's mom got cancer, and her mom was young. She's very close with her family. Her mom got cancer, and it was bad. And so we began to pray and ask God for a miracle. And she believed God for a miracle. Like she prayed and she really believed and she kept praying and she kept praying for this miracle. And we kept praying with her and we kept supporting her through this. And things kept getting worse and it kept getting worse until eventually Heather said goodbye to her mother. And she was in such deep grief. And then just a couple months after I believe it was. She got news that her dad had cancer. And she, I, we were in a WOG meeting down there. I'll never forget it in the bottom of that kid's barn. And she is just like dumbfounded. And we are dumbfounded. Like how can she be at this point? Like she just lost her mom. How can this be happening to her right now? Like she's so young. Her parents are so young. And it was bad. It was bad again. The cancer was, was bad. And... This time, she walked through it almost like the Lord had given her this knowledge of of what was going to come. Seven months after she buried her mom, she buried her father. And as her friend, seeing her walk through this, seeing the grief that she was experiencing, like, it, it really was hard. It was hard to watch her experience that. But every time I would talk to her and try to encourage her, she would say something like, you're not going to believe what happened. And don't get me wrong, she was still grieving. Don't let me communicate the idea that she was all happy and things were good. She was still in the depths of her suffering and grieving. And she would still say, you're not going to believe what God did. You're not going to believe what he showed me. You're not going to believe the way he worked out this situation. That I would pray and I would ask him, show me this, show me this. And he and his power and his majesty would do exactly what she had asked him to do. And I'm not saying God is a genie in a bottle that just does whatever we want to do. But in his mercy... He saw her in that time and answered so many of her prayers. He didn't answer the ones she wanted about her parents surviving that cancer, but he saw other prayers. And he, in his power, in his mighty, 
like he just came to her and he just he just did these things to show her himself he knew that what she needed more than an explanation for her suffering and guess what she never got that she still to this day if she was sitting here she would say I don't know why this happened to me like I don't know why but she saw God through it and she began to see him in this deeper way as her provider, as her protector, as her healer, as her friend, as her father. She began to just know him more deeply because of the way he was working in her life. And that is what sustained her through the suffering. What sustained her was not God fixing it and doing exactly what she wanted. What sustained her was him allowing her to see him. And I can testify that to my own life. In times where I have just been brought to my knees about nothing as major as that. Maybe I'm just disappointed that something didn't go my way or I'm hurt by a relationship or my feelings are hurt. Times when I come and I seek the Lord and I'm like, God, I don't get it. Why did this happen? God, show me who you are because right now it just it's all not making sense. So many times when I'm in that spot, maybe I'm just in the living room at my house one-on-one. Or maybe I'm here in this church and someone is teaching about who God is. It doesn't matter. But any time, any time the Lord has allowed me to see him a little bit deeper than I saw him before, a little bit more clearly than I saw him before, it is like in that moment when I see him just a little bit clearer, nothing else matters in this life besides being in the presence of the Almighty. Have you ever seen him that way? Have you ever seen him just a little bit clearer? And in that moment of seeing him like that, you were just dumbfounded. And just like Job, you just want to put your hand over your mouth. Because you are that in awe of his greatness and his glory. If you are here tonight and you're, you're struggling with all the why questions, I challenge you, focus on the who instead. Man, dig him out in there. Ask to see him. Ask him to give you a greater glimpse of who he really is and the fact that that same who is present with you. He is with you in the midst of that situation responding to you. Let's read the last thing Job is recorded as saying in chapter 42, verse 1 through 6. Job finally takes his chance at responding and he says, says the, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. And then he says this. I love it. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He's like, I heard of you before, but now my eyes see you. And it wasn't that Job didn't know God before. Job knew God before. But that is what it's like when you see him just a little bit deeper. It's almost like you didn't know him before. Because what you're seeing now is just so astonishing that it seems like a new revelation altogether. Like you had only heard of him before. Because now you see him. And then when we see God for who he is, we cannot help but see ourselves for who we are. Job, when he sees God, he's like, I revile myself. I despise myself. I think of the prophet Isaiah when he saw the Lord. What was his response? Woe is me. 
Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Anytime we see the Lord for who he is, we see ourselves for who we are. And that brings us to repentance. That brought Job to repentance. And he repented of his indignant attitude towards the Lord. Well, we know how the story ends, right? Most of us probably know how the story ends. Um, after Job repents, well, now let me back up for a second. Job also says, I know that you can do all things. He says it right there. I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I think Job at this point gets it. And he realizes that, look, if nothing ever changes, if nothing ever changes in my life, if I have to sit in this suffering for the rest of my life, because if you'll notice, Job's not asking for things to change anymore. He's not asking for that. And I think he knows if he has to sit in that for the rest of his life, that God's purposes will not be thwarted, and somehow God will bring about good from that situation. He has confidence and faith in that now. Y'all, that can only come from seeing God. We cannot get there on our own. Well, the last thing that happens is God then asked Job to forgive his friends. Y'all know the end of the story, right? He asked Job to forgive his friends, those same friends who uh, basically told him he got what he deserved, that he was reaping what he sowed. Those same friends that for 37 chapters just made him feel horrible, showed him no compassion. Now God's like, all right, Job, you've seen me. Now it's time to forgive them. Part of me wonders if, uh, if this was Job's final test. The Bible doesn't say that. That's just my thoughts. Was this Job's final test? Because it is only someone who sees the Lord and therefore has seen themselves that has the humility to forgive other people like that. Look, if you are struggling with unforgiveness tonight, ask to see the Lord. And when you see him, you will see you. And it is so hard when you see yourself not to have the humility to forgive. Job, he passed the test once again. He did it just like that. Because he had seen God and props to his friends. Because they actually come to him and accept their guilt. And know that they need his forgiveness. And know that they need God's forgiveness. So they come to him and God restores their friendship. And then ultimately, God restores Job's life, because that is who our God is. He is a God of restoration. Now, restoration doesn't always look like it did for Job, but God restores. For Job, God ends up blessing him with double of everything than he had had before. Double the finances, double the children, double the wealth, the status. He blesses him with double. But Job's life was still not perfect. If you take away my two daughters and give me two more, don't think for a second that I'm going to be like, great. No, he would have still had grief in his life. He would have still had, had mourning and sorrow in his life. But the thing is, Job didn't need all the stuff anymore. Because he knew the who had, who had provided it all to begin with. He knew the who. So the stuff, it, it no longer had its hold on him anymore. It didn't matter nearly as much anymore. The knowledge of God. Knowing who he is, it's more important than anything else. And I'm telling you, it will change things for you. And that's, that's something, to be able to say, hey, whatever situation you're in, whatever you're facing, whatever your problems are right now, know who God is. Settle in, find out who he is, that'll help. That'll change things, whatever it is. And I'm telling you, it's true. It is true. 
worship team, you guys can come. Um, maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, that's great. That's great for Job. Happy for Job. He got his happy ending. Job doesn't need his why anymore. He has enough faith and trust that, that he doesn't have to have it. Good for Job. I'm happy for Job, but that's not me. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Like, look, God has not spoken to me out of an almighty whirlwind, and I just don't have that kind of faith and that kind of trust. And I've tried to lay this situation down eight times, ten times, and I just pick it back up again because I have control issues. And, and that's just not who I am. I am not Job. And I have all this other sin in my life. That's just, that's just not who I am. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's not who you are. Maybe you are someone who doesn't have that kind of faith and that kind of trust. But here's the thing. God makes people who they are not. It's my favorite quote from the chosen right now. God makes people who they are not. He really does. Take it from me, okay? Left to myself. Left to my own nature. I am one of the most prideful people you will ever meet. I don't have an ounce of humility in me. I am selfish to my core. The only thing I'm capable of putting my trust in is myself. My faith is shallow and weak at best. I am a gossiper, a slanderer, and a liar. But God is making me into someone that I am not. He is making me into someone different than that. He really is, and it is the knowledge of who he is that is changing who I am. It's true. And if he can do that for me, who is surely all those things, if he can do that for me, then he can do that for you. The knowledge of God is that powerful. Knowing God is that powerful. So I told Matt, I was like, I don't have any steps to leave him with. I don't have any do this, do this, do this. And I like to have that. I just have one of those to ask to see him. Ask him. Ask him to give you that glimpse that is just a little bit deeper into who he is. Ask to see his power. Ask to see his majesty. Ask to see the fact that he is your friend and your father and that he is present with you in whatever situation that you are facing. Ask him to see him. And I'm telling you, he will do it. He will do it. I have enough faith for you and me both about that. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. We serve a God who responds even if it's without answers and explanations. You guys can stand. If there's anything you need to pray about tonight, we'd love to pray with you. This altar is open, but I'm going to pray real quick before we worship together. Father, I just have one more request. One seems to be the theme for the night. 
Father, let us see you. Father, let us see you right now in this moment as we turn to worship you. God, give us eyes to see you. Let us see you more deeply so that the knowledge of who you are may change who we are. And I ask this in the name and the power of Jesus. Amen.